Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Nutrition for running injury is often neglected. Join us to find out how food and lifestyle can help with injury prevention and recovery. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi, welcome everyone. Uh, I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen. And uh, if you've never joined us on the show before, uh, we usually start just by sharing some information about ourselves personally, something about nutrition or about our running. And today, since our topic is all about nutrition for uh, running injuries, uh, Karen, the question today is what is the key nutrient that you go to when you experience an injury? Oh, well, that's easy, Aileen. It would definitely be um, protein. And that injury that I had earlier in the year, it was protein that I went to first. And I'm sure that really helps the, the healing process. And, and I'm, I'm looking at protein, but specifically the branch chain amino acids within that, because they are the ones that are paramount um, for initiating that muscle healing process. So that would be, be my go-to. How about you? Do you have a favourite? Um, well, I've been focusing more recently on prevention of injury, um, so particularly supplementing with collagen to help support healthy tissue and bone. And um, recently, well, this year, I had a diagnosis of osteoporosis, which came as a bit of a shock to me. Um, but so I'm super conscious about bone health and what I can do to just support, you know, my bone health for the future, and obviously. Um, you know, you all know that I broke a bone a few months ago, so I don't want to break any more bones. <laughs> so that's why I'm, I'm focusing on prevention. So, so it's, it's good that we're talking about, um, nutrition to support, um, injury and recovery, Karen. And we all know that running is well known for its health benefits. And that's one of the reasons we all do it, but it does come with risks. Um, so we thought that we would talk about this in a bit more detail today. And especially thinking about what injuries are the most prevalent for runners. And 
Uh, why? Why does it happen to runners? Um, non-runners will all say, oh, I don't want to run because I get injured. And runners will will almost like ignore the fact that there's an injury risk. So we'd, we'd like to know a bit about why it happens. And, and also, most importantly, um, how diet and lifestyle can help reduce the risks of injury. So uh, let's start, Karen, by thinking about the injuries that are most prevalent. Um, and as I said earlier, most of us have probably suffered some form of injury during our years of running, um, which is, is a real shame, but it, it's something that seems quite difficult to avoid at times. So could you maybe give us an overview, Karen, of what you think the most common injuries are? Yes, absolutely, Alien. And like I say, we all we all have potentially suffered. There might be some people out there that haven't suffered from injury, and that's great. Keep it up. But but yes, most of us, if we've been running for a long period of time, certainly are new, new beginners, um, that it can be prevalent in, in beginners as well. So those are the two uh, principal areas. But we'll look at lots of other risk factors going forward. But, but injury in the literature, injury split into acute injury, and overuse injury. But today we're going to be concentrating on the overuse type of injury because it is the, the most common. But as you can imagine, Aileen, the lower limb is, is by far the most prevalent area for injury. But within that, um, there are lots of different injuries. And, um, and the type of injury that you will get will also depend on what type of runner you are. So what I mean by that is the likes of sprinters, they tend to have upper leg injuries um, and less knee injuries, whereas the recreational and the endurance runners um, tend to sustain injury to the knee, in fact, the knee being one of the most prevalent, um, but also to the foot and toe. They seem to be um, the, 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 the areas that are, are most common, commonly injured. And within the endurance community, interestingly, it's been absorbed that approximately 19% of middle distance runners sustain injuries. However, it leaps to 92% in long distance runners. Wow, that is quite a big difference. <laughs> so mm. I think that's why I stick to my middle distance achievements because I'm <laughs> always worried about uh, long-term injuries. I'm not sure that that's uh, valid or not, but um, yeah, it's a bit of a worry, isn't it, for those people that are doing the real long-distance runs. Um, and as you said, Karen, it's predominantly the lower leg injuries that endurance runners suffer from, um, including the knees, toes, and feet. Um I mean, over the years, I'm, I'm fortunate. I wouldn't say I've suffered any real serious injuries. Um, although I have had, you know, most years I've had niggly injuries. Um, I often find people talk about, you know, some common ones. So people will talk about having shin splints, uh, or, you know, the technical term for that is medial tibial stress syndrome. Um, and the Achilles is another uh, common area. So Achilles tendonitis tendinopathy and um, plantar fasciitis. So those are the kind of things I've heard people talking about, Karen. Um, would you say that that's similar with your clients? Yes, I think the ones that you mentioned are common amongst my clients, Aileen, but also um, I think stress fracture there as well. Um, now, stress fractures tend to happen either to the metatarsal, so that's down in the, the toe area, 
well, the foot area rather than the actual toes mm. itself, but also the, the tibial area of the, of the calf. So you've got the tibia and the fibula as your two calf muscles. And it's in that inner, inner section, um, that tibial section that, that it tends to, that it tends to happen. And you've got, you know, you get, um, stress fracture and you also get shin splints in that area. But that occurs, um, frequently as well with my clients and especially those who are are maybe habitually overtraining or they're maybe not taking in sufficient energy to to meet their training demands um uh, so their training demands but also their everyday energy needs so those would be um the, the key things i see in clinic of the more um maybe restrictive ones but but there are some other injuries um that are less serious including the likes of blisters uh they can still be painful mind you but blisters muscle cramps uh we have spoken about doms in a previous um episode so people could go back and listen to that to listen to learn more about the 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 muscle cramps and stiffness and then and then that muscle pain due to the to that eccentric load so so when you ex so when you're running downhill that sort of eccentric load that is put on the legs can can cause um injury as well yeah you you're creating lots of uh not so happy memories for me karen because i'm sort of going back <laughs> in time thinking oh yes i've had that oh yes i've had that um yeah so it's not it's not good so it seems yeah. as though every year you get something and I, I, when you said blisters there it took me back to my first half marathon when i had the most horrendous blood blisters which um is not a very nice thing to have um but anyway i, I learned from that and i've uh, moved on <laughs> so um could we could we talk about um some of these in a little bit more detail karen so um shall we start off thinking about the shin splints can you tell us about that Yes, and I would just like to say here, Aileen, really that, you know, this isn't my speciality. As you know, we're, our speciality is around the nutrition for it, but it's really important that we have an understanding of what these things are so that we can help support our clients and our listeners. Um, so, um, so that we can support them with their nutrition. So just looking briefly at shin splints. So basically, it's inflammation around that tibial area of the calf that I was speaking about. So that inner um, section of the calf and, and it's characterized by a real tenderness, tenderness all around that area. And, and quite often it can be, um, you can get stress fractures in that area, like I was saying, and sometimes it can be difficult to distinguish between them. So I think it's really important to have it checked out. If you've got any pain in that area, get it checked out because with a stress fracture, really you shouldn't be running. It needs to be stopped for a period of time. But if it's shin splints, then some people may be able to continue running. And, um, but it will depend on the running load. It may need, it may need to be that the running load is vastly reduced. Or if it's really severe shin splints, because they can be incredibly painful, then you might have to stop running as well for a period of time. Oh, that's really good advice, Karen, to get it checked out and not just make the assumption that you think what it is. And is that mm. something that you've experienced yourself? Yeah, it is. So I know how, that's why I know how painful it is, is because I have, I have had them. And, you know, as I was saying, it's linked to inflammation. And I know that it was a period of time when I was going through a lot of 
of stress in my life in various different ways. So, so that inflammation was, was really quite prominent in different ways. And it was, it was coming out because I wasn't willing to give up my, my training in any way. So something had to give. And it was incredibly, um, painful. And because of that, I did have to take some time, um, out of running just to recover from it. Um, yeah, I'm sure, and I'm That's sure awful. you've mentioned, sorry, Aileen. I was just saying that sounds awful, Karen. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I haven't actually had, um, Achilles issues, which I'm really pleased about. So it's something I haven't experienced, but I'm sure you've maybe mentioned that you've had sort of some Achilles tendinopathy, um, in the past. In fact, I think you mentioned it just at the beginning of this episode. So what was your experience of that, Aileen? Yeah, I mean, I'm, what my recall is, it's a few years ago, and it, it really was one sort of season, so one spring summer that I, I particularly remember it, and it it was something that I just had to, well, come to terms with. A bit like you saying, you know, I had to do the remedial exercises, and I it held me back from doing the running that I wanted to do. So it was really frustrating. Um, so it was just, um, just one of the, like I said earlier, the niggly sort of things, you know, it didn't stop me completely, but I had to respect it. And I think that's one of the things you have to learn to do is, you know, you have to live with things and you have to do the remedial work to, to recover or else you end up making it worse. Um, so let me just sort of, um, explain a little bit more about what, what it is. So it's, it's inflammation, which you've already mentioned earlier. Inflammation is the thing that, um, affects us all with these injuries and it's a sort of a, a sharp pain which is usually felt sort of a few centimeters above the heel um, people sometimes describe it as burning or stabbing pain um, and it tends to increase with activity so um, you know sometimes you think well things are warming up and then the pain goes away but with um the Achilles, it tends, the pain tends to stay, um, and it's only really relieved by rest. Um, so there's, there's quite, um, a bit of research around this with regards to running. So it's, it's thought that it can occur in up to 10% of elite runners, um, in any one year, which is quite high. And also, um, that experienced runners who've got more than 10 years experience are also at a high risk. Um, so I'm not sure quite why that is. It's just because experienced runners, um, you know, the volume of running they're doing is, is more and maybe that's what puts them at risk. Um, and there's also, uh, there was a study looking at elite male runners, um, distance runners, and it found that in their lifetime, the lifetime risk was as high as 52%. So, you know, it's, it's obviously a problem that does affect a lot of runners, even though I'm saying, well, it only happened to me once. Um, there's the potential for it to happen to many people. Um, so I think it's good to be aware of this. Um, and that brings me to the, the next one, which has been my challenge, um, this year, which is plantar fasciitis, or at least that's what I think it is. Um, because of lockdown, I've not been able to consult with anybody. So I've been doing lots of, self-help and self-diagnosis. I've listened to lots of podcasts and watched videos about what to do. Um, but that's something that I find really painful. And um, again, it has limited what I do. It's limiting my walking as well as my running because some days it's so painful that even walking hurts, um, which is very, very frustrating. So uh, Karen, what do you know about plantar fasciitis? 
Yeah, so like I say, Elena, it's really common and again, it's really painful um, to experience. And so, so plantar fasciitis, like you say, is inflammation of the fascia. And a fascia is a band or um, strip of connective tissue that attaches to and stabilizes the muscle. Um, it can also be found around internal organs, but we're kind of looking at it from um, from a muscular point of view or sort of a stabilizing and attaching point of view regarding muscle. And, um, and plantar fasciitis is simply the pain that you feel in the bottom of the foot near the base of the heel generally. And I, I'm imagining that that is where you're feeling your pain, mm. Aileen. And for some people, it can also um, extend into the arch of the foot as well. And and usually it's characterized by the pain occurring when standing and when walking, um, especially if you've had a, a, a long period of rest or um, or after doing a, a lot of activity. So it can work either way. If you're over, if you're overusing it, and if you're underusing it, then um, then it can the it, the pain can sort of intensify. And yeah, I know that we're going to be sorry. Sorry, Karen. I was just going to interject there and say what I've been mm. doing is a lot of foot rolling. So with with balls mm. and like little foot rollers to try and like you say stretch out that arch. Um, and, um, just that's part of my daily routine now. And I'm also having to manage the running every other day. That seems to help too. Yes. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I'm really hoping that, um, I get some relief soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And those are some, some great ideas, some great recommendations actually to give to our listeners is what you're doing yourself to try and support that and to try and ease the pain. And I know that we're going to be looking at the risk factors for injury later. However, just as a point here, some known factors linked to the to the plantar fasciitis include um, sort of the, the decreased ankle and big toe range of motion. So maybe for some people who suffer from arthritic type symptoms may find that it, it, it may lead into um, into plantar fasciitis and also for people who overpronate, whether they overpronate inwards or outwards. And, um, and clearly people who are bigger, so with a higher BMI, people who are overweight, that, that is potentially going to be a risk factor as well. And also if people walk and run a lot on really hard surfaces. And, and one other known change, um, for, for, for actually quite a few of these different um, conditions that we're speaking about and injuries that we're speaking about is a change in training. And we will speak a bit mm. more about that later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've reflected on recently is normally I would go to yoga classes and Pilates classes, um, you know, at least four times a week, um, you know, sometimes more. And during lockdown, I'm not very diligent at doing all these online classes, I have to say. I'm much better if I'm held accountable and have to show up somewhere. And so maybe I've not been doing as much as that so that I'm not getting the same stretching that I normally get. Um, so, yeah, I've been trying to step that up a bit too because there's, um, you know, when you say changes in training, I would say that's been one of my changes in training. So it's not always just about running. It's about the supportive exercise that you do around your running. 
So yeah, that's very interesting. Um, so from what what we've been discussing so far, Karen, um, pain and inflammation seems to be the key that's going on. So we feel the pain. We may be not aware that we're inflamed, but the inflammation is driving um, the conditions and the injury that we're, we're experiencing. Um, and you know, if you're running and feeling pain. You really shouldn't ignore it. And it's really important, as you said earlier, that, you know, you, you address it. So you either take some, um, you know, expert advice or you decide that you're going to rest and, and decide how you're going to support that injury. Uh, so we're going to talk about a few actions that people can consider. But before we do that, Karen, why do you think that this happens? Um, so frequently in, in runners, these types of injuries. Um, could you go into a few more of the risk factors that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. And uh, there are potentially so many risk factors for injury, but but the ones that are, are most documented, sort of in research and in um, textbooks and things like that, are sort of like we were speaking about, a change in training, so a sudden increase in your weekly running mileage, because it does seem to that the risk becomes greater the further that you that you run, um, and also that so so that chronic exercise overload. So it could be that it's that it's a sudden increase, but it could be that it's just a chronic overload and it might be an accumulation of the running overload but other things going on in one's life as well that's just leading to the 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 the, the, the coping bucket overloading mm. um also during the preparation phase for running events and um, because it really steps up there and then people are trying to sort of get up to to sort of the pace that they may want to to try and achieve in the in the race, although you should never try and achieve that pace during training, it should always just be below it. And then um, that that sort of race speed is kept for the race. Also, previous injuries, you know, if you've had an injury in the past, then there's a potential weakness there. So therefore, it, it makes you more susceptible to have a repeat injury of the same place. Altered biomechanics. So, so just thinking of your gait and, um, and changes in gait for whatever reason. Again, it could be linked to a previous injury, um, shoes you're wearing, different, different, um, reasons for it. But that altered biomechanics of running could have an effect as well. But also, um, say about change in shoe, it could be about habitual footwear use because it is, it is, um, advised to change your, your, your running shoes regularly, but not everybody does that, so it could be that it's just overuse. That that buoyancy that's in the shoe has collapsed, therefore there's not the same support. Yeah, that's my other great wish when we come out of lockdown is to buy some new running shoes because my uh, running shoes definitely need changing, and uh, I've got two pairs and I'm. I'm rotating them, but I really think they've come to the end of their life. So, uh, yeah, mm. that's uh, another good piece of advice there, Karen. Um, mm. So I can see that, you know, this having a previous injury, or, you know, does put a runner at risk of having the same injury again, but not necessarily, you know, if you address it, you know, I, I'm thinking about the things that have happened to me over the years and they've, I've addressed them and they've not recurred. So I think there's a lesson there for everybody. You know, if, if you do address something, it doesn't necessarily mean 
that it's going to come back. Um, but, you know, you've got to consider that there might be a weakness of the muscle, the tendon or the soft tissue around that uh, particular injury. Um, but I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about biomechanics, Karen. Um, you mentioned that um, that is one of the risk factors. What, what else can you tell us? Yeah, so put simply, sort of your, your, the biomechanics of running is really your running gait, like I said. Um, so, so basically, it's how you run. And everybody runs differently. And I don't know about you, Aileen, but when I see a beautiful runner, it's just wonderful to watch, you know, because they're in alignment, their legs go straight up behind them, their feet are parallel, feet and legs are parallel. The balance is fantastic and they almost float as they're running and I just think it's beautiful to watch. I could watch them for, for hours. Um, but there's so many of us that don't have that beautiful running style and that can have an impact and potentially put us at increased risk of, of injury. And I think it is also, you know, people are naturally good at running, but it's also a skill that can be acquired. So I think, again, you know, we spoke about um, seeing a professional to really support that that biomechanics, looking at your gait and, and looking at exercises and things to be able to to adjust that. And also we get into bad habits and mm. just sort of thinking about, um, again, seeing somebody who can help you move out of those bad habits and sort of change your thinking um, on that brain muscle um, link, just sort of adapting that to support um, better biomechanics. So um, so clearly, like I'm saying, poor running style can lead to injury. But like I was saying earlier, the shoes you wear can also have an influence on your biomechanics. And, and some people overpronate which can which can really affect your gait, and and again that's really noticeable if people over or um, overpronate either inwards or outwards. It's, it's really quite prominent. Yeah, there's a lot to think about there, isn't there? And I, you know, mm. over the years, I've, I've I mean, I, I would never buy a pair of running shoes without um, having somebody assess me because I, I, what I've noticed is that after an injury, your gait can change, and I've had times where I've I've been advised to have a certain type of running shoe and then the next time I bought them they said oh no you don't need that anymore you're back to a neutral foot so I think it is a really good idea to um, check that out um, so yeah I think it's uh, there's lots of good things there and also I think what you mentioned there about getting somebody to check out your running style I've done that from time to time and it's you do get into bad habits and somebody videoing you and pointing something out can really make a difference um, yeah, absolutely. So. And I think wearing the wrong shoes will um, have an impact, but also wearing the same shoes for a long time. You know, I was speaking about that habitual foot use. And in fact, it is recommended that um, for people who run an average of, say, 20 miles per week, they should be looking at replacing their running shoes um, between... Um, 300 to 500 miles. So people who prefer kilometers, that's between 500 to 750 um, kilometers. And that roughly equates to four to every four to six months. That's quite mm. a lot. Yeah. Mm. Well, there's a lot of running shoes out there to be bought, I think, this summer. <laughs> <laughs> And it can yes. be expensive, but I always justify it to myself. In fact, the last time I bought some, you know, I didn't even ask the price. And it wasn't until I got to the cash register, I thought, oh, my God, I haven't even asked the price here. And it, it, 
she sort of always have to take a deep breath. But I just divide it into the number of times I wear them and it's like cost yeah. per wear. And that's how I justify it. Um, so. I like that, Lily. So when I buy my fireflies, <laughs> yeah. I'll use that. Yeah, I've got to. I've got to. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how much, <laughs> 50p a go or something like that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> divide that's it by the miles. Mm. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, so there's lots of things that need to be taken into consideration. Um, so thinking about uh, what terrain you're running on, is it a, a trail or is it a flat surface? Um, what your foot strike is like, um, um, what your weight is like, you know, because a heavy person's going to run the shoe quicker than a light person. And then also the pronation um, that can affect the, the life of your shoe. And that's why I think it's really good to, um, you know, go to a, a, a store that will, you know, have a look at that for you. And usually the people in these, um, running shops are athletes themselves. I mean, it's worth just going in and talking to them, isn't it? You know, they give you really good advice and often they're sort of, um, you know, it's their love, isn't it? They're, they're, they're working in the running shop because they, they want to run and they're maybe, semi-elite athletes themselves so it's um it's usually you get really good advice so you're doing, so, you get into great conversations you know they're so passionate about their running they want to find out about your running and your races and what you're doing and it's just great i'm usually in there for about half an hour and, and i know exactly which shoe i want so it's very quick <laughs> quick for me to go in and out but we usually stand chatting for ages so. yeah yeah that's yeah. great um and so let's move it on, Karen. Let's think about are there any other risk factors for injury that we should be aware of? Yes, I think uh, a key area to think about actually is runners' psychology. You know, because as we know, especially with endurance running, it's 80% psychological and 20% physical. And I think as runners' psychology can really impact on, on the risk of injury. So their personality, are they an A-type personality? So they're really driven. So whatever they decide to do, they've just got to go for it, you know, full pelt. Um, determination and, and also self-achievement. I think for a lot of people, um, doing endurance because it's, it's, it, it is a long distance. You are putting your body under such a, uh, an incredible pressure, but that sense of achievement at the end is what keeps a long distance runner going. And also, I think, um, the psychology of being self-critical, um, sort of therefore, um, it's almost like dismissing the injury through that self-criticism. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling this. Oh, get over it or oh, just continue. And so mm. people tend to run through the symptoms. So I think runner psychology is an area that should really be acknowledged and addressed. And, um, but also, um, overtraining. And in fact, regarding overtraining, that is an area that is, is really well documented, actually. And um, the others are maybe more anecdotal, although there, there is more and more research coming out on, on running psychology and the impact of that. So that is well documented and, um, and the overtraining aspect of, of it as well. Coaching. You know, it's great if you can find a really good coach who really supports you and is interested in you as an individual, individual and your capabilities, um, and knowing when to, to reduce your training, when to increase your training is invaluable. But there are potentially, um, some out there that might push the athlete too hard and be focused on the performance and not really concentrating 
So looking at the performance from a speed and distance point of view, but maybe not necessarily spending a lot of time on their gait and how is their their biomechanics. Um, and there is a little bit of documentation on this, but it is thought to be a much less dominant factor, um, risk factor for in for injury, but it's still there. And then also the other one is incomplete recovery from a previous injury. And and I know that I uh, can be guilty of that as well. It's like, oh, it's almost gone. It feels a lot better. So I'll just go back out running. And, you know, we all learn these things. We all do these things to our peril. We learn from them and um, and and never do it again. So I would really uh, say to people, you know, if you've had an injury, recover fully, fully before you then start to 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 go back running again and then build up slowly. Mm, I can really identify Anyhow. with I can really identify yeah. with some of these things, Karen. I think the uh, there are people that just push through so that I think just even acknowledging that you might have that kind of psych- psychology is a good thing. Um so that you can sort of have that self discussion. Uh and also like you say, having a running coach um can be great. I mean, I, I, my personal trainer will, if I'm, if I'm struggling with something or, or I notice that I'm a bit, you know, I've got a niggle, I'll just mention it. Um, and he'll tell me, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And it just, just by stopping, we might be out on a run. We might just stop for a couple of minutes and do an exercise there and then. And that can just often release something that's going on. So yeah, I think it's really helpful to have those extra support yeah. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so looking at, um, at those sort of risk factors, Aileen, have you got any others that you could add to that list? Yeah. I think the, the more sort of, um, things that maybe people don't think are running related, but it's more to do with lifestyle things that could be affecting your general health. And as we, I think we mentioned earlier on, you know, it's, it's if your general health isn't in good, in a good position. Then you gen, everything's going to be undermined. Um, so the mm-hmm. thing that could be uh, a risk factor would be the stress. You talked earlier about having a really stressful period and it manifested itself in an injury. So you're not necessarily thinking that your stress is going to end up in a running in, just in injury, but it, it might do. Um, your body composition, you know, if, if you, if you're overweight and you're carrying extra weight, then that could again, be a bit of a problem relating to risks of injuries. Um, your um, diet, um, you know, having either not eating enough or not eating um, the right quality of nutrients and maybe having uh, not the um, balance in your macronutrients and your micronutrient intake, possibly eating an inflammatory diet. So things like high, highly processed foods would increase the inflammation load. Um Drinking alcohol can also be an inflammatory action. I think, you know, we, we maybe mentioned this in other episodes about, you know, we want to lower the inflammatory load. Um, so by having taken these things out of your, um, day to day food plan, you're going to have less systemic inflammation, which is going to help your overall status. Um, smoking. I don't know how many runners actually smoke. That might be an interesting one to to see. I mean, you see it actually where you're abroad, actually, don't you? It's, 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 yes. it, you just can't imagine somebody smoking and running. Although I do have a personal friend who smokes and runs, and I'm always really shocked by that. Um, yeah. But try not to yeah. judge because uh, he's a very nope. fast runner. <laughs> yes. 
Um, and then I think the other thing, you know, age, you know, as we get older, just, you know, we're going to be more prone to having um, injuries as we get older. So it's really important that we look after ourselves to minimize those risks. Um, so there's, there's like tons of reasons, isn't there? A myriad of reasons why runners are at risk um, of potentially sustaining injuries. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit later about how nutrition can help with either injury prevention or with recovery from injury. But just before we do that, Karen, are there any female factors that we, we need to be aware of? Yes, uh, actually, in fact, we have mentioned um, this in another episode um, because it's been found that women runners are more prone to knee injury. And they think that this is due to the fatiguing of the quadricep muscles, so the thigh muscles, those big drivers, as they're sometimes called. So they fatigue more easily in females, which leads to um, an increased risk of, of knee, knee injury. Um, and they're also more prone to generally to general lower limb injuries. Um, and, and, and it is thought that women generally are more prone to any running injury than men are. There was one study, actually, that I was looking at um, um, and they were following 300 runners over a two year period. And it showed that 73 73% of women and 62% of men sustained an injury. So actually high in both male and female, but, you know, significantly higher in the female group, which I think mm -hmm. is really interesting. And also um, it's thought that um, women um, uh, over the age of 50 are at an increased risk of um, of injury as well. Whereas if they're younger than 30, there's much less of a risk. So mm. it could be that, so as we know, around that age of 50, a few years below, a few years above that, it's that perimenopause, menopausal period of time. So it could be linked to the changes in hormone balance and bone density at this time that leads to that increased risk of, of injury. Um, and also, um, uh, another study or, or, yeah, study that I was looking at showed an association between females and stress fracture risk. Now that's particularly linked to sort of the lower bone density, the menstrual disturbances that, um, that some females can have and also dietary um, deficiencies. So, uh, which all of these things are, are linked to red S and FAT, which we've spoken about in the, in another episode as well, Aileen. So that's that relative energy deficiency in sport and the female athlete triad. So just thinking about that. And it, I suppose it's, it's just showing the importance of, of that energy availability, making sure that you're taking on enough of the macronutrients and micronutrients that, the, that you were speaking about earlier to sustain the, um, the intensity of the training that, that an individual's doing. Mm. So ladies, I think what this is saying is, um, you know, bear in mind, um, the potential for injury and build up slowly. And especially if you're thinking about changing from one style of running to another, for example, from road running to trail running or the other way around, because as we know, hard surfaces um, can increase the risk of of injury. Or if you're changing up your distances, 
again, thinking about doing it gradually and not sort of leaping into a half marathon from a 10K. Wow. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of risk factors, um, all of which we have to live with. So it's really important that yes. we, we minimize those risk factors with our lifestyle and, um, and our um, nutrition. Um, but really think about what your running style is, what the intensity of your running is, the distance, and then just generally what is your health status. So if, if you're unwell or you've got an underlying health condition, then all of these things can contribute towards the potential of getting an injury or from, um, you know, how quickly you can recover from it. So, um, yeah, all interesting stuff there, Karen. Um, so before mm. we go on to talk about, um, nutrition and, and lifestyle, uh, can we just have our quick advert break that we always put in at this time? Mm. Yeah, great. So uh, Karen and I usually um, just take a minute just to tell you a little bit about what we do um, at Runners Health Hub. And that's where we offer a range of services to help you be a fitter, faster and stronger runner. Um, we'd love you to have a look at our Runners Nutrition Zone. And within that area, we host an online program which has lots of short videos, recipes and downloads. And you also get invitations to live training sessions. So it's a paid program. Um, it's a, a relatively low investment for a 12 month period. And it really is, has been designed to help you put easy nutrition into practice. So, you know, a lot of the things that you'll be uh, learning about just by joining us on the, the podcast, um, we go into a little bit more detail there. And we also help you with putting together steps and action points that will help you uh, make it an easy way to, to, um, eat and live. So we'd love to see you there. And uh, if you'd like to find out more, just go over to our website, which is uh, runnershealthhub.com. That's runnershealthhub.com. And uh, if you've got any questions, drop us a line, uh, send us an email, messages on Facebook, and uh, we'd be happy to give you a bit more information. Great. Thanks for that, Aileen. So you were saying just before the advert break that we're now going to be looking at diet and lifestyle to help reduce the risk of um, of injury happening. So I wait in anticipation, Aileen, of your next question for me. <laughs> well, I think probably what everybody would like to know is what are the key nutrients, um, Karen? So um, can we discuss um, what they are and in which foods we can find them? Yeah, so what I'll do, Aileen, is I'll outline the nutrients first, and then maybe we could kind of pull out a few of the nutrients and, and sort of think about the foods that we would find them in. I think that's mm. the easiest way of breaking it down. Okay. Um, so, so, and, and sort of looking at some of the nutrients that, that we will probably speak about, some of them we've already discussed in, um, episode 14, looking at endurance running and the immune and immune support, but also in episode 15, when we were looking at nutrition to solve DOMS, because DOMS is, is, well, it's similar in that it's affecting muscle generally. And, um, and then it's, it, as we know, it's linked to inflammation injuries generally linked to inflammation. So it's about immune support as well. So there is an overlap there. But the, the key ones, I think, to include for today 
um, our protein. You know, I spoke about that way back in the at the beginning of this episode, and and again, it's it's protein overall, but especially those branch chain amino acids. And just as a reminder of what they are, that that's leucine, isoleucine, and valine, um, because they are the 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 amino acids that are predominant in in um, triggering that muscle protein synthesis cascade, especially leucine. It is known to be the master trigger. And then it pulls in isoleucine and valine to, to support that muscle protein synthesis. And then collagen, now it's a key component of soft and connective tissue is also really prominent in, in bone. So for all the soft tissue injuries we've spoken about, but also the stress fractures that we mentioned as well, collagen is going to be really key. And I think, again, linking back to bone, calcium and vitamin D in tandem are really key for bone health and bone formation. So um, so for anybody who is at, at higher risk of, of repetitive fractures, maybe with osteopenia or osteoporosis, like you mentioned earlier, Aileen, then that calcium and vitamin D would be really key. Zinc as well, because um, low levels are thought to delay the the healing of wounds. So that would be uh, important. And also for um, the anti-inflammatory properties, um, we'd be looking at the antioxidants and the omega-3 fatty acids, which we have spoken about um, in, in the previous uh, episodes. Okay, so quite a list there of, of nutrients. <laughs> Um, but as you know, we don't eat nutrients, we eat food. Um, so let's have a look at what the key foods that um, as a runner, if you put those into your food plan and eat regularly, that's going to really help your foundational nutrient nutrient status and will help reduce the, the risk of running injuries. Um, so we all know that meat, fish and poultry um, contain an abundance of protein. Um, but to ensure that you're getting the, this optimal intake of the branch chain amino acids that you've just mentioned, Karen, the key foods would be uh, looking at chicken, salmon, steak and eggs. Um, and, and we've taught in one of our, um, I think it might have been in the Nutrition Basics episode, we talked about making sure you get the really good quality um, things of meat and fish and poultry because they're going to have less um toxins in them um, and so that's going to um, if you, if they were toxic in any way you know if you had pesticides or antibiotics in the food or that kind of thing you're going to um, increase the inflammatory process so it's really good to look at the quality of your food and get organic and grass-fed and know the provenance of your food um, if you're a plant but if you're following a plant-based uh, food plan and potentially for vegetarians as well, you might want to think about uh, supplementation when it comes to protein. So maybe a really good quality protein powder would help. Would you would you agree with that, Karen? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. I totally agree with with that. And and a protein powder may be appropriate um, for vegetarians and vegans. And again, just thinking of the branch chain amino acid um, content of the protein powder that you choose. And also alongside that, I think um, I'm thinking about collagen because that's also found predominantly in meats mm. um, and also in the likes of bone broth. So when you're having a a homemade um, chicken roast, a roast chicken rather, than just sort of thinking about the bones because a lot of people 
potentially just throw them away. Um, but just thinking about um, cooking those um, in a pan with some water, some diced, diced vegetables for flavour and just letting it simmer gently for 12 hours. I sometimes do mine up to 24 hours, actually. And as the as the as the bones um, sort of soften and degrade, the collagen is being pulled out into that juice and then becomes a great broth that can just be sipped as a soup or can be added to, to other foods that you're making. So I think I think bone broth, um, it's been spoken a lot about re in recent sort of year to a couple of years or is it longer than that yeah it's definitely like, something yeah. that people know what it is now whereas a few years exactly. ago people wouldn't have wouldn't have thought about it. i mean obviously you know generations ago everybody would have known what a bone broth is but yes. we've sort of got out of the way of having it haven't we Exactly. Exactly. So just thinking uh, uh, about that and using using the bones, cooking the bones. But again, for vegetarians and vegans, you may need to consider a supplement here or just ensure that you're getting and you're eating the foods containing the building blocks for collagen so that the body can produce it itself. Mm. So again, we're thinking uh, about the protein, the zinc, vitamin C is really key for producing collagen and also copper. So just thinking about that if you want to support the body to, to produce its own collagen. Yeah, good. Uh, and I know some people will buy bone broths pre-made, so it's an expensive way of doing it. But if it's something that you find easier, um, you know, there are good supplies out there. And I, I use my slow cooker to make uh, bone broth so you don't even have to think about it then like you say you can leave it on overnight and it's a mm -hmm. good way of doing it okay so Definitely. so that's some really good tips there on um, introducing some of these really good quality um, protein sources and, and collagen sources um, so could we um, move on from sort of that nutritional aspect and think about some lifestyle factors here um, so we, we've mentioned some of them before, Karen, but just to sort of recap, um, knowing what your weight is and working out whether your body composition is appropriate, um, you know, is it appropriate to your height and are you in within a healthy range and how that might be affecting your general health and your potential for injury. Um, thinking about your alcohol intake is another one. Um, so we don't really mean removing it altogether. Everybody enjoys having a glass of wine or a beer and socializing. Um, but I think, you know, when you're a runner, you have to be mindful about your alcohol, um, how much you're having and how often. And ideally avoiding it the night before training or, you know, whatever that training might be, whether it's running or a gym session, um, just really having some alcohol free days would be really helpful. Um, you, you explained earlier about the stressors in life and, you know, stress, we get stress in all sorts of different formats. It could be stress from the food we're eating. It could be our lifestyle. It could be the running itself, which is a stressor, or it could be, you know, something that's out of your control and external stressor, but it all has an effect on, um, our immune system really and it, it can suppress our immune system and it's the immune system that's going to be doing the the work on helping you heal uh, and helping you do that repair process that you do day in and day out after uh, after every run 
Um, so those are the sort of obvious lifestyles that are springing to my mind, Karen. Have you got any that you would add? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. You were saying about, you know, how all these these different stressors um, can can sort of impact on on um, the injury and sort of um, thinking about these lifestyle factors in helping recovery, but also it can help with prevention as well. You know, if people can sort of start to thinking about their running, their diet, the external stresses, et cetera, remo- being able to remove as many as they can, the ones that are within their control, hopefully it's going to prevent injury in the first place as well. And I think sort of leading on from that, there are sort of a few ideas linked to your actual running that could that could help to um, either prevent the injury or support recovery from inju- injury. And, and I think the first one I'd just like to say is about that increasing of training. Just just don't try not to increase your training load abruptly. So, um, so, so this is sort of um, increasing the load both in distance speed and potentially the type of training for example bringing in hill drills now that can quite often um if if that's something new and you go sort of you go for it then sort of hill drills whether it be uphill or downhill clearly downhill is a a bigger risk factor but going uphill as well can lead to injury so just being mindful of your your training load and increasing it gradually and um and and not sort of um at speed possibly reducing your running frequency frequency especially if you feel niggles if you if you're noticing that there's just a dull ache somewhere just thinking okay let's pull back rather than this pushing through as a lot of runners can do just acknowledge listen and and act and that hopefully will prevent um any any more serious an injury occurring um and remembering to always warm up and cool down um, with your running, that's really key. And it's something I never used to do, but I do religiously now. It may just be five to ten minutes at the beginning of my running and five to ten minutes at the end. I'll just sort of do that warm up and cool down and also stretching. And I think, you know, you're speaking earlier, Aileen, about age. And I think as we age, the stretching becomes more and more important. Mm. So just think about that dynamic stretching. So that stretching with movement before you start to run, because that's when the muscles are still cold and then sort of stretching um, afterwards. And that can be more static because the muscles are already warmed up. And and they do recommend sort of a minimum of about 10 minutes of stretching, especially after, after training is, is 10 minutes of stretching. And also you spoke earlier, Aileen, about um, Pilates and yoga and balance. So that restorative and preventative exercises outside of running completely, but it can be really helpful in, in sort of building strength, therefore building balance, therefore um, supporting the, the decreased risk really of, of sustaining an injury when running. And also another um concept that is used is the what is what's called RPE so that rate of perceived exertion or effort so um so this was compiled by Borg I don't know when it was actually produced actually but it's like a 10 point um um monitor a way of monitoring load and you're sort of running 
usually it's worked at between six and nine point five. You wouldn't go lower than that, and you wouldn't go high. Well, you might go lower than than six, maybe down to five, but you wouldn't go any higher than nine point five. So it's and and sort of looking at it from five to six being very easy. And running, able to breathe, have a conversation with somebody next to you. So it's very easy um, running up to the 9.5, which you would only use if you were doing um, really fast 30 second sprints. You wouldn't you wouldn't be using that in any other conditions because it's so exhausting. So that's another way of 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 monitoring your um, your running, your training. Where are you in that rate of perceived effort? Are you putting in too much effort and you need to pull back? Um, and, um, and maybe getting someone to work with you on that. Again, a running coach can be really good and lots of running coaches use RPE as a, as a, as a way of working with the clients. Wow. So another, another good uh, advice there, Karen. So it's all about self-management really, isn't it? It's about noticing what's going on and um, taking action. I like what you said, you know, acknowledge, um, listen and take action. So I think that's really, that should be our mantra from now on. Um, so, so just to round up, so that the nutritionally, we're really saying focus on protein and collagen and then the micronutrients and the antioxidants that we mentioned, which will support bone health as well as tissue health. Um, and so we're about to just round up again. It's been another quite long session. Uh, so we're just under the hour. Um, so I'm going to ask Karen to round up with today's key takeaways. Yeah, sure, Aileen. So the, the key takeaways from this, I think, are that injury in runners is common, especially of the lower limbs um, and additionally the lower aspect of the leg. And, and just to remember that women are at greater risk of injury than men and age appears to have an impact there as well. Consider a consultation with a professional gait analyst or a podiatrist to help rectify um, any pronation or anything else that may be um, hampering you regarding your gait. And they could also help you with choosing the correct shoe for your for your running gait and for your running goals. So I think that is a really um, a good step forward for anybody is to, to um, employ a, a professional. Um, think about how you train. So ensure you increase your distance and your intensity in, in a gradual way um, and also think about um, what you eat and ensuring that you eat an optimal diet consistently and watch one that contains the key nutrients for bone health and for muscle and soft tissue um, health that we've just been speaking about today. And finally, just to remember that injury can lead to time out of training. So prevention is best. Yeah, that's a good point to end on, Karen. So thanks for that. I think um, what we've talked about today is really going to help everybody on their injury prevention. It certainly brought it top of mind for me. Um, so that's us coming to a conclusion. And just our final reminder is don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your performance. And um, we look forward to seeing you next time. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. 
In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.